What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mayalari. So today I'm just going to talk about baseball and give you guys a quick breakdown of what's going on across the MLB. First thing, Baltimore Orioles will be calling up top infield prospect number two overall in the top 100 prospects in the MLB. Gunnar Henderson will be making his MLB debut at some point, whether it's today or tomorrow. He's getting called up. Very young prospect. If you look at what he's done in the minor leagues, he's had a lot of success in that minor league system for the Orioles this year. In AAA, Norfolk for the Orioles, he had 11 home runs with 41 RBIs and 10 stolen bases with a 288 batting average, a 390 on base percentage, a 504 slugging percentage, and 894 OPS in 65 games played. In AA, that's where he started to stop the season in the minors. In 47 games, he had 8 home runs, 35 runs batted in, 12 stolen bases, and 14 attempts. And then also a 312 batting average and a 1025, a 1025 OPS. And you look at it, he had 41 walks to 38 strikeouts in double A. So he's walked three more times than he struck out in double A. Obviously, triple A struggled a little more with the plate with 78 strikeouts in 65 games. But give and take, very young prospect, has a ton of speed too. If you look at it in the minors, he had 40 stolen bases and 47 attempts in three seasons in the minors across three years of 2019, 2021, and 2022. And if you look at it, the Orioles are calling him up at the right time. Right now, they are 67 and 61. They are 6 and 4 in the last 10 games, 11 and 9 in the last 20, and 18 and 12 in the last 30 games played. 18 and 12 in the last 30 games played. And right now, the three games out of the last wildcard spot in the AL, the Minnesota Twins and the Orioles, both are three games out of that last wildcard spot behind the Blue Jays, the Mariners, and the Rays. All five of those teams right there, all separated by four games. The Orioles. And the Twins are three games back of the Blue Jays. They're three and a half back of the Mariners. And then they're four back of the Tampa Bay Rays. So they're not that far back. And right now the Orioles, 67 and 61, playing great baseball at Camden Yards. They're actually 37 to 24 at Camden Yards, playing great baseball there. And if you look at it, the Orioles really do have such a bright future. Such a bright future. If you look at six prospects in the top 100 of the MLB, now we're calling up Gunnar Henderson at the right times. I said with all these September call-ups, he's one of the biggest one. Being called up, obviously. But if you look at it, I think the Orioles are set up great for the future. They're only spending right now, their payroll right now is only $43 million, their total payroll of this season. Their total 2022 payroll is $43 million, which is the lowest in the MLB. Then if you look at it, the 26-man payroll, so the guys they're paying currently right now, is $23 million, so just about $24 million, which is second lowest in the MLB behind the Oakland A's, who I've talked about before. But out of all the teams that have spent... Under $58 million on their payroll right now. They're spending under $58 million. There's only two of them with a positive record. And it's the Rays and the Orioles. And if you look at it, teams with a payroll under $100 million, there's only three teams with a record over 500 The Orioles, the Guardians, and the Rays. So obviously a lot of teams aren't spending, aren't winning games, obviously. As I said before, I think... There's a correlation between winning games, how many people go to your games, so fan attendance, and then also how many games you win. So how much money you spend, how many games you win, and how many fans are in attendance. All three of those are correlated. If you look at the Orioles right now, aren't spending much money, but they're honestly succeeding without that. So what I think is if they spend $150 million like they did in their payroll in 2016 and 2017, so spend $100 more million on the payroll than they are right now, and have all six of those top prospects up at some point, whether it's this season or next, they're going to be set up so great for, this, for their future. Their future is so bright, and I'm excited to see where the Orioles are 
two to three years from now. I think even this season it's exciting. They're 67 and 61. They're trying to make a playoff spot. They're trying to make a run at the postseason, which is electric for a team that no one really had high expectations for coming into this season. I thought they would have a better season than they did the last few years. I did not think they would lose 100 games, but I definitely did not see them going 67 and 61 in their first 128 games. And not many people did, if any did. So right now they're in such a great position to succeed in the future. And I think if you look at it, there's no other team besides obviously the Dodgers, which the Dodgers right now have seven prospects in the top 100, which is the most in the MLB. And then they're also spending the most money. Their total 2022 payroll is the most in the MLB. And they also have the highest 26-man payroll or the second highest 26-man payroll. The Mets actually have the current 26-man payroll, the highest in the MLB. But the Dodgers have the highest 2022 total payroll and the second highest 26-man payroll. So they're not afraid to spend money, the Dodgers. And they also have seven prospects in the top 100 coming up at some point. So this setup so bright for the future. I think the Orioles are in a similar position where if the Orioles spend $100 million extra than they're spending right now, so the offseason signs some pitches and maybe a few other position players. I think they're going to be set up so bright for the future. I'm excited to see what the future is for the Orioles at Camden Yards. Things are really looking up for them, and I'm excited to see Gunnar Henderson. And one thing about Henderson is in the three levels he played in, so low A, high A, double A, and triple A, he had a cumulative batting average of 276 with a 378 on base percentage, a 488 slugging percentage, and 866 OPS with 37 home runs, 161 RBIs, and 40 stolen bases with 190 runs scored in 246 games across those three levels. So very exciting, obviously, for the Orioles, and they're making a run at it at the right time. I'm excited to see them do big things. And I've covered them a ton this year, uh, this summer, actually, um, because I saw bright things for them. When they started getting hot at the end of May and then June, I saw things turning for them. I saw a flip of a switch, and I was excited to see what they were going to do for the rest of the season. But I never thought they'd be 67-61 and 61 right now and be three games out of the last wildcard spot in the AL. So very exciting things for Baltimore. I will be rooting for them. As for the Red Sox, things are over for the Red Sox this season. They had nine games out of the last wildcard spot, currently 62-68. and 68. Just one year removed from being the ALCS runner-up. So just before almost making the World Series, obviously losing to the Astros. But the Red Sox were right there at one point. This season just did not go the Red Sox way. 62-68 and 68 right now. 3-7 and seven in the last 10 games. 8-12 and 12 in our last 20 games. And 12-18 and 18 in our last 30 games played. And if you look at it, things just did not go well for the Red Sox in the AL East this year. The Sox had an 18-36 and 36 record in 54 games played in the AL East. And for a team that's going to play their division so many times, the Red Sox cannot be 18-36, and 36, especially in such a competitive division. You're not going to be able to compete if you're 18-36 and 36 in your division. You're just not going to be able to compete. And the Red Sox are starting to make some moves. They let go of Hirokazu Sawamura, which wasn't too big of a surprise. He was struggling over the course of the season. You know, he actually... Didn't have that bad of a year, but the last month he was struggling. This season he had 3.73 ERA and 49 games played with 27 walks to 40 strikeouts. He did walk a good amount of guys this year. 40 strikeouts to 27 walks with 21 earned runs at 50 and two-thirds innings pitched with 45 hits allowed. He had a 1.421 whip over the course of the season and had a 3.73 ERA. As I said last year, he had a 3.06 ERA and a 5-1 record. With 18 earned runs at 53 innings pitched, was a lot better last year. But if you look at his splits, he did not do great. 
towards the end of this season with the Red Sox, and that's why they designated him for assignment. He just was not doing great in the second half of the season. In the first half of the season, he was great. He was great in the first half of the season. Before the All-Star break, was 1-1 one one with a 2.55 ERA. 2.55 ERA in 34 games played with 12 earned runs, or 12 runs, 10 earned in 35 and a third innings pitched with 27 strikeouts of 15 walks and a 1-1-6-0 whip. But then you look at it, in the second half of the season after the All-Star break, in 15 games, he had a 6-4-6 ERA with 11 earned runs at 15 and a third innings pitched with 19 hits allowed in a 2.022 whip with 13 strikeouts to 12 walks. So obviously he struggled heavily in the second half of the season after the All-Star break. And in August, just things were not great for him either. He was just struggling there as well. If you look at his numbers in August, he was just not the pitcher he was in the first half of the season. And obviously it's a long season, so guys are going to go on stretches where they're good and they're bad. But with Sawamore over the last month or two, he just was not the player he was in the first half of the season. If you look at his ERA in July, he had a 4-6 ERA in 12 games with 8 earned runs at 15 two-thirds innings pitched with 11 strikeouts to 12 walks. He started walking more guys than he struck out. That's an issue. And then also in August, a 4-6-6 ERA in 10 games played with 5 earned runs at 9 and two-thirds innings pitched with 10 strikeouts to 8 walks. So... Things just were not the same for Salamore in the second half of the season. That's why the Red Sox decide to move on from him. Then you look at Austin Davis, another guy the Red Sox designated for assignment. If you remember Davis, the Red Sox traded him, traded for him with the Pittsburgh Pirates at the 2021 MLB trade deadline in July of 2021. The Red Sox obviously traded Michael Chavis, who hit his 14th home run of the season last night. Chavis, we obviously lost that trade. Chavis has had a great season for that Pirates team, one of their better players this year. But if you look at Austin Davis this year with the Red Sox, he had a 5.47 ERA in 50 games played. With 54 and one-third innings pitched, he allowed 33 earned runs and had 61 strikeouts to 29 walks and also had a 1.564 whip with the Red Sox in 2022. Then in 2021, had a 4.86 ERA in 19 games with the Red Sox after being traded to the Red Sox from the Pirates. In 60 and two-thirds innings pitched, he allowed nine earned runs. And if you look at his career with the Red Sox in two seasons after being traded to the Red Sox from the Pirates, he had a 3-2 and two record in those two seasons with a 5-3-2 ERA. And then if you look at it, his whip was never great. 1.549 whip with the Red Sox. His whip was actually better in Pittsburgh. He had a .975 whip in Pittsburgh. He also had a 4.73 whip or a 4.73 ERA in Pittsburgh. And then if you look at his whip with the Red Sox, a 1.5 whip with the Red Sox and a 5.32 ERA in 69 appearances. So things just should not go well for him in a Red Sox uniform. 78 strikeouts or 36 walks. And then if you look at his splits, he was not doing great in the second half of the season either. So similar to Sawamura, the Red Sox just saw neither one of these guys are part of our future. So let's let them free. But for Davis in the second half of the season after the All-Star break, he was just awful. He was unplayable in the second half of the season. He had a 9.68 ERA in the second half of the season in 16 games played. In 17 and two-thirds innings pitched, he allowed 19 earned runs with 21 strikeouts to 11 walks and a 2.038 whip after the All-Star break. And in July, things weren't great for him either. July was another bad month for him. Honestly, June wasn't great for him either. May, he was great. A .75 whip in 11 games played in May with one earned run in 12 innings pitched. With 12 strikeouts and six walks. May was great. June, 4.5 ERA in June in seven games played with four earned runs and eight innings pitched with nine strikeouts and five walks. Then in July, a 7.71 ERA in 11 games played, making two starts 
with 13 runs allowed, 12 of those being earned in 14 innings pitched, with 18 strikeouts of five walks. August, even worse, 10.64 ERA in 11 games played. With 11 innings pitched, he allowed 15 runs, 13 of those being earned, and 11 strikeouts to nine walks with a 2.273 whip. So the Red Sox obviously just cut ties with both of those guys, and very unsurprising. The Red Sox also announced yesterday that Haim Bloom and Alex Cora will both be resuming for the 2023 season in their roles as chief baseball officer and also manager of the Red Sox. Both of them will be back with the Red Sox in 2023. I do not think it's Alex Cora's fault. The Red Sox do not have a bullpen, and obviously if you look at it, Hyam Bloom had a chance to get a first baseman earlier in the season. When you know Bobby Dalbeck and Frangie Cordero are not first basemen defensively and they're not giving you any help offensively, the Red Sox should have pulled the court earlier and got a first baseman that can play, that can catch a ball and scoop the ball off the ground and can also hit above 220. And that's one thing Hyam Bloom failed to do. So Hyam Bloom, I honestly am very questionable about First future with the Red Sox. I think by next season, maybe halfway through, I think he will be gone and no longer with the Red Sox. And how can he be with the Red Sox, especially considering how much he's been struggling with the Red Sox as the chief baseball officer over the last season? And you look at some of the biggest moves he made, trading Mookie Betts. And you look at Mookie Betts has been doing this season with the Dodgers, and I'm, I'm going to get to the Dodgers in just a minute. Trading Mookie Betts with Jeter Downs, Connor Wong, and also Alex Verdugo. Verdugo looks like the only good piece of that trade so far. Trading Michael Chavis for Austin Davis. We lost that deal. Michael Chavis has 14 home runs for the Pirates right now and would be a starting first baseman this whole entire season over Dahlbeck and Cordero since he's a better first baseman defensively and is giving you more offensive production. So that's another lost trade. But another lost trade, trading Hunter Renfro after he had a great season last year for Jackie Bradley Jr. in the offseason. And before you know it, Jackie Bradley Jr. is DFA'd in early August. So that's another bad trade. A guy you traded for, Jackie Bradley Jr., is off the team by August. And Hunter Renfro's had a decent season with the Brewers. So that's another bad deal by High and Bloom, which I know you're not going to get every deal right. You're not going to get every deal right. That's baseball. You know, it's part of the game. You've got to make a deal. Obviously, you got to take a risk sometimes. But Hunter Renfro this year, 23 home runs with a 255 batting average and an 826 OPS for the Brewers. The Red Sox could have used that in their lineup heavily this year. And you look at what he did last year, 31 home runs, 96 RBIs, and a two fifty nine batting average with an eight sixteen OPS and 144 games played for the Red Sox. Obviously, Renfro wasn't the defensive player that Jackie Bradley Jr. is, but that's another lost trade, especially considering Jackie Bradley Jr. hit two ten for the Red Sox this year and was off the team by August. So at the end of the day, that's another lost trade. So you got Renfro, a lost trade. you got the Mookie Betts trade, a lost trade. And then you got Michael Chavis, another lost trade by High and Bloom. Another bad trade by High and Bloom, and one I almost forgot, trading Andrew Benintendi for Frangie Cordero. He traded Andrew Benintendi for Frangie Cordero. If you look at ben, what Benintendi did with the Kansas City Royals before being dealt to the Yankees, he was good with the Royals. In two seasons with the Royals, a 294 batting average, a 351 on base percentage, a 424 slug percentage, and a 774 OPS with 20 home runs, 112 RBIs, and 227 games played. He was good with the Kansas City Royals. He was great. Great. 103 runs scored as well. And you look at what he's doing with the Yankees right now, hitting 248, a 722 OPS, and 31 games played. So not as great with the Yankees. But considering we traded Franchi Godero for him, obviously the Royals won that deal. Then they end up flipping Andrew Benatendi for prospects. 
in that deal with the with the Yankees. So they actually won that deal heavily. Trading Cordero, a guy with the Red Sox of two seasons that's hitting 213 with the Red Sox of two seasons with a 281 on base percentage, a 639 OPS with nine home runs and 38 RBIs and 128 games played. Nine home runs and 128 games played for a guy that's supposed to be a power hitter. A guy that has the best exit velocity and is supposed to be smoking the ball. He's hitting 213 with the Red Sox. Obviously, they won that deal. And you look at what Cordero did in one year with the Royals in 16 games. Hit 211 with two home runs, seven RBIs, and a 733 OPS in 16 games played. So they flipped Cordero for Benintendi and then flipped Benintendi for prospects to the Yankees. So obviously, the Royals won that deal. So that's another bad move. And then you look at what the Red Sox did in the offseason. Let Kyle Schwarber walk. Who's hit 36 home runs this year with a 212 batting average, 77 RBIs, and an 800 OPS for the Phillies this season. It was also an All Star this season too, a two time All Star now. Things just have not gone well for High and Bloom in his tenure with the Red Sox. Obviously, he made the ALCS last year, so not all is bad at the end of the day. But this year, things just went down heavily, and the Red Sox just are not the team they were last year. One good deal he made though was trading Jake Diekman. At the trade deadline this year for Reese McGuire. McGuire's played great for the Red Sox in 17 games, hitting 385 with a 400 on base percentage, an 881 OPS with a 481 slugging percentage, and also three doubles, one triple, and five runs scored in 17 games played. And also, considering he's a better defensive catcher than Kevin Pilecki, not a bad deal for the Red Sox getting rid of Diekman and bringing a catcher like McGuire, who's hitting well right now, as I said. And also is a better defensive catcher than Kevin Pilecki, who gives up a stolen base in inning, it seems like, to a certain degree. Which, at the end of the day, this team's not really going anywhere. So even if Pilecki's in the lineup, we'll probably get a better draft pick. So, at the end of the day, I know it's an MLB lottery this year for who gets the top pick. But, at the end of the day, the Red Sox aren't far off from one of the worst teams in baseball. Even though our record isn't as bad as some other teams, if you watch the Red Sox play, things just do not look good for them on the field right now. One team I want to highlight... Before ending this episode, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. They had 90 and 38 on the end. 90 wins, 38 losses, have a 703 win percentage. A 703 win percentage this year. 90 and 38 on the year. And they have the best record in the MLB over the last 10 games, 20 games, and 30 games played. They're 8 and 2 in their last 10 games played. Best record in the MLB over that stretch. 15 and 5 over the last 20 games played. Best record in the MLB over that stretch. And a 24 and 6 in their last 30 games played, which once again, the best record in the MLB over that stretch. And if you look at what they've done over the course of the season, they average the most runs scored per game, 5.4 runs per game. And they also average the least amount of runs allowed per game, 3.1 runs per game allowed. So the Dodgers have just been so dominant all around. And if you look at it, they are 45-10 and 10 since June 29th. In their last 55 games played, 45 wins, 10 losses. They have a 45-10 and 10 record in their last 55 games played. And I said it again for emphasis, as it probably sounds crazy to you, but at the end of the day, it's real. They had 90 and 38 on the year and 45 and 10 since June 29th, which is ridiculous. And credit to Jared Carabas for this, but I saw he said in a tweet, the Dodgers have a 703 win percentage this season. The next best win percentage is the Astros with a 636 win percentage. Since the start of the 2017 season, the Dodgers have a winning percentage of a 646 win percentage. 646 win percentage since the 2017 season. That's an absolute dominant dynasty. And even though they only have one World Series to show for it, I think they can win it this year. They had the best run organization in all of sports. 
Seven prospects in the top 100 in the MLB. They spend the most amount of money on their total payroll this season and have the second highest 26-man payroll in the major leagues. And they're not afraid to go all in and make a big trade for Mookie Betts, for Max Scherzer last year, for Trey Turner last year, signing Freddie Freeman to a huge deal in the offseason. That team is just not afraid to take a big risk. And it always works out for them. Every time a player that's been struggling for another team goes to the Dodgers, they somehow become better than they were with their previous team. So credit to the Dodgers for not only being good at developing a farm system, but also developing talent. They see a flaw in a player and fix it. And somehow find a way to take a player's flaws and the downsides of their game and somehow make it a strength of their game. Players always go to the Dodgers and somehow revive their career and have good seasons. And maybe it's just a winning culture. They have the best winning culture in all of baseball. 703 win percentage on the year. As I said, they're 8-2 in their last 10 games, 15-5 in their last 20, 24-6 over their last 30, and then also a 45-10 in their last 55 games played. 45-10 in their last 55 games played. They just have such a great winning culture. And if you look at it, in the second half of the season since the All-Star break, they are 30-8. and 30 wins, 8 losses, with a 228 run score to a 110 runs allowed run differential. So a 118 run differential since the All-Star break. Since the return of the All-Star break, 228 runs scored and 110 runs allowed, which is 118 as a run differential, plus 118, which is wild. And if you look at their win percentage in the second half of the season, 30 wins, 8 losses, a 789 win percentage since returning from the All-Star break. They had a 21-5 record in July, an 808 win percentage in July, and then in August, or even better, 22 wins, 5 losses, with an 815 win percentage in the month of August, with 164 runs scored to 72 runs allowed in August. This team is absolutely ridiculous. 690 runs scored on the season to 403 runs allowed. A 287 run differential. Plus 287 run differential on the season with 90 wins and 38 losses. This team is destined for great things not only this season, but for years to come. Seven top 100 prospects all joining them within the next season. And then they also can spend a ton of money this offseason when Craig Kimbrell and David Price and maybe even Trey Turner and a couple other guys that I mentioned in previous episodes will be off the payroll. They'll be able to spend money this offseason. So they're only going to be better after this season, probably. Which is ridiculous to say, but this team is set up to win not only for this season, but for years to come. With how many prospects they have in the top 100, seven prospects in the top 100 in the MLB, which is number one in all of the farm systems in the MLB. And then also, if you look at it, they spend money and have the highest payroll in the 2022 payrolls this year and have the second highest 26-man payroll. They're not afraid to spend and they're not afraid to win. So credit to the Dodgers for always going all in. I respect that. Anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.